recognize, I fully recognize that this is not what most people think of, of physical therapy. Um, but it is the future of physical therapy. And if you don't want to agree with that or, or, or move on with that um, in some capacity, then um, I'm sorry, but we're, we're moving on without you. <laughs>
Um, but we are working on some inter-SIG um, collaborations with other SIGs like the vestibular SIG and the imaging SIG. We're trying to do more um, cross-collaboration between our SIGs because there's just so much overlap in what we do. But one of the things that we have really focused on lately is um, a clinical specialization, so a board certification for primary care. And as a part of that process, um, you have to go through and do an ABPTS petition um, to come up with the clinical specialization. And part of that is defining the scope of practice. Yeah. And so the scope of practice for a primary care physical therapist is a little different from what you might think, because some people assume that primary care PT just means, oh, you can say you can see a patient direct access. You can see, mm. which, seeing a patient direct access just means you can see them without a referral. Correct. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are taking ownership or taking responsibility of what a primary care physical therapist actually does. So without reading the full definition, um, in a nutshell, it's basically a primary care PT um, takes responsibility for all patients' um, medical conditions that they present with from a functional standpoint. So I am not saying a primary care physical therapist does not ever replace a primary care physician or provider. Um, we serve as a member of the team to help support them in everything that they're doing for that patient. Um, and we also um, consult on and, and provide our input on what we think is best for their function. So for example, if a patient has... Um, you know, if a patient comes into their primary care physician with with low back pain and they also have hypertension and they also have, um, you know, diabetes and, and, and those types of things, when the when the primary care physician brings us in as the primary care PT, we're not just addressing just that low back pain. We are also making sure that we are including um the, the medical screening components that go along with the cardiovascular ramifications of hypertension and diabetes. Um, but we are also educating them on how exercise and how lifestyle modification can help to, um, to optimize not only their, um, you know, their, their medical conditions that they're dealing with, but also how all of it sort of relates back together. Um, you know, we know that individuals with low back pain often have multimorbidity. And it's really important for the primary care PT to be able to put all of those pieces together um, from a from a screening picture and a risk picture, um, but also for the patient to be able to educate them on how, you know, all of these things are tied together. And we're really there to establish a more long-term relationship with the patient, just like they would have with a primary care physician. So the primary care PT moves away from the episodic model where it's like, oh, I have shoulder pain. I'll go to PT because I have shoulder pain. In, instead of just focusing on that patient's shoulder, you're also considering all of their other, all, um, all th their entire complete health picture and helping them, certainly helping them with their shoulder problem and their musculoskeletal problem, but then also like tracking them over time and developing a relationship with them and making sure that, um, that you're aware of the, the, the social impact and the, um, the psychological impact that their health picture has on their, their future stability, on their prognosis, on this and that. And then you really are, um, making sure that you have ownership that, that, or you are acknowledging and accepting responsibility of being part of that patient's primary care team. So I recognize, I fully recognize that this is not 
what most people think of, of physical therapy. Um, but it is the future of physical therapy. And if you don't want to agree with that or, or, or move on with that um, in some capacity, then um, I'm sorry, but we're, we're moving on without you. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that makes sense. So one of the things that I talk about a lot of the time is that as doctors of physical therapy, we need to manage our patient's care, not be technicians in our patient's care. And I think that historically, like, you know, like you said, with that episodic care model, like you're here, I'm going to fix your shoulder pain with these technical skills. I'm going to use my goniometer and I'm going to get the, the TheraBand and I'm going to maybe do some joint mobilizations. And I'm going to ignore the fact that you maybe have frozen shoulder from diabetes, from, you know, a, a different metabolic disorder, from a trauma that was caused to you by a violent partner in your home. Like, I'm going to pretend like your shoulder lives in isolation. And that's not really how we become doctors of physical therapy. That's not really how we transform society. And that's not how we make our patients better. And I love what you said about not discharging patients and building relationships because I think that's one of the best things we can do for physical therapy and for the healthcare system. So if I have a healthcare issue, like I'm like, gosh, I'm, I'm having back pain. Who am I going to call? Like, I don't even know who to call. Maybe I'll call my primary care doctor, but what are they going to maybe tell me? They're going to say, oh, well, maybe just put a hot pack on it. But if I can call my primary physical therapist and be like, Katie, like, I don't know what to do. My back really hurts. And then you can help me triage what to do and what those next best steps are. And I know that I have somebody that's going to partner with me over the long term to, to mitigate this issue, to prevent it from happening again, and to make sure I can continue living my life. To me, that sounds like an excellent model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty darn good model, especially considering that a lot of pain complaints from an orthopedic perspective, a lot of pain complaints are recurrent. We, we know this. We know that neck pain and back pain and other other types of um, other other types of pain complaints from whether it's um, you know a, you know past injuries or just you know the way your body is these things are recurrent and I I actually had a um, a student who was asking me the question of like oh well we saw this patient a year ago for low back pain and it helped the the episode of therapy helped for his low back pain then and he's coming back a year later now with the same complaint like what do we do and it was like well. If it helped then, it's probably going to help now too. And, and you're there to, I, I, I despise, and I have always despised this concept of like, we have to have an initial evaluation and then we have to have a plan of care and then we have to go through the plan of care and then we have to discharge the patient. And then when a new episode of care starts, we have to get a new referral, blah, 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 blah. I get it. I understand that like, jurisdictional board requirements, practice act, blah, blah, blah. And I also understand like the insurance piece of it too, but like we need to get a grip on what we currently have and recognize that it's not working for the vast majority of people, per mm -hmm. physical therapists and patients alike. It is not working. Okay. It doesn't make any sense that we should no. not consider a patient's past medical history and develop a relationship with them over time so that we can continue to help them. We know what their risk factors are going to be. We know that there are certain factors that predict certain types of illnesses or certain types of injuries. We know all of these things. It makes no sense that we exist on an episodic model. None whatsoever. I totally um, agree with you. Yeah, I, I can't. I just cannot anymore. And I, I will not, like, I just can't hold back on this concept about how Okay, even if an insurance is going to require you to, you know, go through this, go through the motions. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
you only have the shoulder pain diagnosis code, yada, yada, yada. Okay, great. Awesome. That does not mean that the previous time you saw the patient or the next time that you see the patient that you can't carry the information that you know about this patient forward. Right. Okay. So like maybe it looks like an episode of care, quote unquote, on paper, and that's what it is. But you are developing a relationship with a patient and you, when you quote, discharge them for insurance purposes or whatever you have to do per your facility or whatever, whatever you have to do, you are, and you're not telling the patient, oh, today's your discharge day. You're done with therapy. You graduate. It's, hey, my door is always open. I am the, I'm your doctor of physical therapy. And I, if you have any trouble with your function, with your physical function, with pain, I just want you to know that my door is open. You can always call me. You can come back to see me. And I am going to be here for you because I already know your medical history and I know you're this and that, and we will work great together for years to come. Like, why not? Why not? I, I, I often tell people like the goal of physical therapy is for you to not need me. Totally. But I'm 100% here when you do need me. And and I think it's different, like, this is maybe a tangent, but, like, when I talk to patients about their relationship with their chiropractors, mm-hmm. they will see their chiropractor for anything, mm-hmm. anything. And I mean anything. Like, I have a weird mole. I'm going to the chiropractor. And it's like this relationship. And I, and I see patients, like, if, if you've been on any Facebook group where somebody's like, I have low back pain, what should I do? All these people are in the comments like, I love my chiropractor. I've been going to them for 27 years. And part of me is like, why do you still need them for this same issue if you've been going for 27 years? But at the same time, the other part of me is like, they have a relationship. They have trust. They're getting something out of that interaction. Mm -hmm. And it's valuable to them, that relationship. Mm -hmm. So just to take us in another direction, if people are listening and they practice in the emergency department, they're like, sounds cool. How does this apply to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a lot of overlap in, in our ability to medically screen triage and be able to make referral decisions. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a ton of overlap there. Completely. Um, there's a difference. So I'll start with the differences and then we'll come back to the, um, you know, how, how, how is it similar and where is the overlap? Perfect. The, the difference would be in, in primary care there, there is a, a, a continuous, sustainable, hopefully long-term relationship with your patients. In the ED, hopefully it is not that way. <laughs> no, I tell people, I hope I never see them again. I'm like, this is the one area of healthcare where we do not wish to have repeat business. Right. Primary care should be responsible. And I'm not referring just to physical therapy. I'm definitely referring more to um, you know, pr- the way that um, the American Academy of Family Physicians describes this is that it should be uh, primary care, whether you're a pediatrician, a geriatrician, an internal medicine physician, family medicine, whatever, primary care should be able to manage the vast majority of your common health concerns and complaints and be able to track your, um, your be able to promote health and be able to identify risk factors through across the lifespan. Okay. So whereas emergency department care is really just there for emergencies. Um, Ideally. But again, with that being said, um, in emergency care and primary care, we we both need to be practicing at the top of our scope, you know, wink, wink, because so of your box. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we both need to be practicing at the, do- at the top of our scope when it comes to 
medically screening and triaging. So the, the process of, of evaluation and determining what the problem is, determining your differential diagnosis should be no different. Um, because if you're seeing a patient for the first time in the emergency department, usually they're going to be seeing you for something that's very severe or appears or seems to be emergent or somebody sent them there because they thought it was an emergency. Yeah. Or they didn't know where to go and had, or had no other options. Right. Um, and it, in primary care, hopefully it's, it's not quite that, but it could be, you know? So, so our role whether you're in the ED or whether you're in primary care is to do the best possible service that you can for that patient. And that includes comprehensive evaluation of all systems. Okay. So if somebody comes in with, with neck pain, okay. Like was there trauma? Was there a mechanism of injury? Um, Have you had this ever in the past? Are you having neurologic symptoms? Are you having are you having cardiac, a cardiac event? Are you having a pulmonary event? Are you having this and that? So we need to be able to identify and understand referral patterns um, and just be, be at the best of our ability with pattern recognition in general, and not just from a musculoskeletal standpoint. Yes. Um, I think people, PTs, especially in the outpatient ortho world, forget that we are foundationally and fundamentally trained in all body systems. There are PTs who primarily treat cardiovascular and pulmonary conditions. Many at my hospital. We have the most cardiopulmonary specialists in the state. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I think that there's, there's just a a lack of emphasis on that, especially Mm -hmm. in the orthopedic space. Um, but yeah, so like when it comes to, when it comes to foundational differential diagnosis workup, the process is going to be the same. Now, one of the things that I really harp on, um, I teach a course in foundations, um, for the primary care therapist, but one thing that is very similar for really anybody, whether you consider yourself a primary care therapist or not, is the concept of referral Mm decision-making. So if somebody presents with X, and it looks like X or it looks like Y, they have all of these variables that they're presenting with. What do you do? Because yes. I think that I think that a lot of PTs understand when to identify a quote unquote red flag, which I hate yeah. that I hate the terminology. But yes. It's there. Um, the terminology makes people think that something is or belongs in the emergency department when really it could just be something that might be what I call non-critical medical, where it in, it needs the involvement of another healthcare professional, but the urgency is not such that it needs to be taking, it, it can be routine. Yes. They, can, they can be seen within the next two weeks and it would be fine. Um, versus, okay, and this is, this is my biggest issue, cancer. People think that cancer is a red flag. Okay. I understand <laughs> that, that when, if, and when we suspect some sort of malignant process in a patient. Um, yes, we should 100% be referring a patient um, if, if that is the case. Does a patient who you suspect cancer with belong in the ED? No. no. 100% no. Because most cancers, you're not actively dying right now. If they have unstable vitals, or like you mentioned before, I loved that, the um, altered mental status, yeah. types of things, then they belong in the ED. Or like massive neurological compromise. Like, yeah. please send them on in. But yeah, yeah, like if it's a suspicious mole, don't do, please don't. 
Correct. Or if, you know, even if there's a finding on imaging. So I've run into this before. And in fact, when I was active duty military, I had a a patient in his late thirties who had a, a large, um, unfortunately a large osteolytic lesion in his ilium. And then, you know, we did some additional imaging and he had, he had more, he had mets in a lot of places. And at that time I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, does this, like, does this need to be seen today? Does it need to be seen tomorrow? Does it need to be, is it okay if we wait two weeks? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? So in my course, I really focus on teaching decision-making when it comes to different case presentations, um, because cervical myelopathy is not cervical myelopathy is not cervical myelopathy. There is a spectrum, there's a spectrum of presentation. Yes. And that's very similar for a lot of other conditions that we all just think are these quote red flags. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're walking into an outpatient clinic with cervical myelopathy, you probably don't need to go to the ED today. hundred <laughs> percent. Now, if you can't stand up in the clinic yeah. from cervical myelopathy, yeah. please also don't ask that person to drive themselves. Yeah. Thank you. And so, yes. Yes. So what's like, so if we're, we're doing this, we're taking this systematic systems-based approach to looking at our patients in the emergency department, because one thing I say to, to students is just because we're seeing this patient doesn't mean the diagnosis is complete. We're part of that diagnosis, diagnostic workup, which is part of being that team. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean there also isn't an emergency or that the emergency is over. I've had way more incidents occur in the emergency department than in the ICU because the ICU is so tightly controlled and the workup's primarily done, like they know what's happening. They know how to mitigate that. But in the emergency department, we're still in discovery mode. We're like mm-hmm. paleontologists, like wiping the dirt off of the fossils to figure out what's underneath it. So how, how do we, once we've done that, like kind of figured out some things and maybe they truly are red flags based on your experience in this primary care model, how do we best communicate that in an appropriate professional way with the appropriate amount of urgency to our medical team. So we're not Mm -hmm. alarmist Mm -hmm. because we want to be trusted, right? Like I need to, when I go tell a physician something, I need them to listen. And if every time I'm like, the sky is falling in room five, they're going to stop listening to me. Mm -hmm. But if I can communicate appropriately, that patient's going to need to get the care that they need every time. So what do you suggest? Great, great, um, great question. So this is another section um, in my course that I cover on interdisciplinary communication and how and when and why to to communicate when you need to just send an email when you need to pick up the phone, when you need to pick up the phone and leave a message versus wait on hold. Um, When you need to, you know, quickly write out a note. And maybe um, in some in some instances, and I actually would be wondering uh, what your opinion of of this particular case is, because we we talked on my podcast episode on a um, a case of 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 DVT versus PE, and like mm-hmm. when to call an ambulance versus when to like okay, the patient's husband is in the waiting room. Can that person are they stable enough to like make the five minute drive to the ED, or do they need EMS to be here right now? There are some cases like that where I still struggle a little bit. Um, but, and now I'm like forgetting what, oh, the, oh, communication. So like when, when can you just write out a quick note, say what your concerns are, have the patient like go to the ED or go to wherever they need to go. Urgent care, like, Hey, if it's a wrist fracture, can they go to ortho urgent care two doors down and like 
they'll be fine. Yeah. Like you can split their wrist. They can whack their little selves down to get a radiograph because that's what's needed. If yeah. you suspect that, or do they need to urgently like go by ambulance to, um, to the emergency department? So like, those are the two, those are the two areas where I struggle sometimes because on a textbook, from a textbook standpoint, it's like, I should have, you know, they should, they should go to the ED by ambulance, like almost every time, but from an actual like life application, it, it becomes a little bit more challenging, but I well, do especially have, with our healthcare system, right? Like patients are going to be like, I'm not paying for that. That's an expensive cab ride. That's what I, that's what I have come up against time and time again. In fact, I did have a patient with a suspected PE post-operatively. Um, she refused. Um, she, you know, she did have a rapid pulse. She wasn't, you know, diaphoretic, breathing super heavy. She was slightly short of breath when she was moving around with her walker. Um, and I noticed that she had a rapid pulse and her blood pressure was elevated compared to baseline and all of that. But, um, I did have, I did, a, she was like, no, I'm not, now I, she didn't even want to go to the department in the first place. <laughs> and so she was like, all right, I'll call my husband, like blah, blah. So her husband came and got her and drove her. And like, was that the wrong, was that the wrong thing for me to do at the time? Like at least she got to the ED and was diagnosed with a PE and was, you know, medically managed. Um, sometimes, so sometimes there, there's hardship there because there's ways that you would approach it from a textbook standpoint, but then there's life. And then there's like, oh, are you going to pick up? Like, I would recommend that you call and wait on hold to talk to somebody about this mm -hmm. in the best of your abilities. You please do that. But <laughs> there are those instances where you might be waiting for hours or you might be waiting for an outpatient provider, like a primary care physician or a cardiologist or whatever to call you back and you never get the call back. Are you yeah. going to have the patient wait there for eight hours? Or yeah. are you going to like, what are you going to do? So there's lots of like problem solving that I try to do in this course. And I love the live courses, especially because this is where a lot of discussion is stimulated. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that there is one hard and fast way that everything always has to be done. But I think the the problem solving and understanding all of the different scenarios is really helpful to work through. So in the ED, right? Like I'm going to come out of that room and I've got that provider face to face. That's so nice. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So how, what are your best strategies for like giving the information succinctly, clearly, and then have that result in action taken? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, uh, I, I, I teach the S bar method, which is a Same. really commonly accepted, um, it, it was fundamentally designed in the nursing profession, which is awesome. So the S bar me method is basically where you, you're giving your assessment. You're just giving like a super brief statement on the background. Um, so the situation, what's happening. Um, and then, so that's the, the S, the, the B is the background. Um, the A is your assessment of what you think is happening. And the R is your recommendation. Now I also include a plus with that. Um, and the plus from my perspective is, um, you know, state your role in this problem and then give your contact information and make sure that that other provider knows that you're available and that you are wanting follow-up on this patient after, after the fact. Because I think sometimes that's, that's not um, expected of a physical sure. therapist. But if we're going to be following up with that patient, we need to know what happens in the meantime. So I use the SBAR method and it's something quick. It's like, 
let's say I'm picking up the phone and I'm in a state where I can't order, I can't place an order for radiographs, which I think in 2023 is the most insane thing that there. Yeah, are totally different soapbox, so, right? It's insane. Um, yeah, very different soapbox. But um, so I, I'm in a state where okay, maybe that's actually in the regulations, like not allowed. And I have to call somebody in order to do this. And I know that they are presenting, they had a, you know, fallen and outstretched arm and they meet all the criteria and yada, yada, yada. So I call and I say, Hey, I have this, I have your patient here. Um, 65 year old, you know, Donna Jameson. I don't, I'm just coming up with this name. Out of, that sounds like a real um, housewife's name. Yeah. That's Donna Jameson. That's, that's Donna a good James from Atlanta. Um, and you know, she fell on her wrist. She's point tender. It's swollen. She's having difficulty moving. I believe that she needs a radiograph. Um, and cause I am concerned for fracture. I would recommend starting with this set of radiographs done, you know, based on, okay, is it, do you think it's the scaphoid? Do you think it's the metacarpal? There are different views of films that are important to include because if you just order standard radiographs on anything that comes through the door, you're going to miss stuff. So you should know that. Um, so, you know, and then give your recommendation. My biggest pet peeve in all of therapy practice or just any practice in general is like, oh, if we identify something, just refer, refer back to primary care, tell the patient to go back to primary care. And it's like, and then what, you know, primary care physicians and providers are probably the most overloaded and overworked and overburdened population of healthcare professionals in the healthcare field right now. Yeah. And they can't do it all. No, they cannot do it all. And it is our responsibility to communicate findings and to help them. And so if you have a specific recommendation, like I at one point had a patient that I was concerned had MS, like it was, it was pretty, it was kind of declaring itself almost like on a, you know, that stepwise as I was working with this patient. And I was like, you know, I'm really, I, I am not diagnosing a patient with MS, but I called and I said, um, I, you know, said all my findings. I gave, you know, some of the, the supporting, um, uh, the, the supporting findings from my evaluation and from my time in working with this patient. And I said, you know, I'm concerned about something progressive. This really looks like MS. Um, would you, you know, mind working this patient up and, you know, what are your thoughts um, seeking out that their opinion too. And I, I have never gotten anything other than like, thank you. That is yeah, very much appreciated. Like, thank you for this communication. We'll definitely take care of this patient. And I think sometimes the best way to approach that is from my evaluation, assessing this, this, and this, these are the things that I, that concern me. And I think a workup for this diagnosis may be indicated, you know, because I, I'm not, like you said, I'm not diagnosing MS. Mm-hmm. But I am diagnosing a dysfunction mm -hmm. that looks a lot like it would come from something like that. And we do look at things differently from patients. And, and I did have a case in the emergency department with a patient who was there for, like, she fell, she fell kind of, but like off a stepladder, like it was not a unique way of falling, but she felt like her leg just like went dead. And like she, when she stepped down and it, and it didn't go well, she wasn't hurt. She just felt very alarmed by the fact that her leg sort of pieced out in the middle of a functional task. She was my age. She came to the emergency department. Her family was a lot more concerned about it than she was. The doctor that does this like five minute triage was like, hey, like if you weren't here, I would just discharge this patient. But since you're here, can you just take a look? Like she's really concerned about this leg. I did the most 
thorough neurological examination of my life. And I am an NCS, so that's saying something because it was like those spidey senses that felt like there was something wrong, but I couldn't find it. And so everything was just like not quite right but not quite clear either. Like she was not declaring herself. Like she'd inch up to the line and they'd be like, just kidding, you know, mm-hmm. and it was fine. And so at the end, my bottom line was, there is not an emergent condition happening. You're not indicated for any advanced imaging today, but these are things that like, I just want you to keep an eye out for. And so I think those return precautions in any kind of, physical therapy situation are also important. Like these are things I want you to watch out for. And she did. She actually came back 24 hours later because things progressed. Like she was like right at that tipping point. And she came back for those return precautions and ended up getting a full, um, full workup. And she had, you know, maybe the largest white matter burden I've ever seen on imaging before. And her functional presentation again, you know, like we know is, did not correlate to what we were seeing on the imaging. And she did get the, the outpatient care that she needed set up after that point. Again, like was MS in this particular case, an emergency, even that second time? No, but I think we have that ability to look at things from a different perspective than other providers do, because we can see that functional nuance. We could see that like, you know, that single leg stance on that other side is just not quite the same. Mm -hmm. There's just something not quite right. Like her reaction time is not quite right. Like it's just not quite right. And I think we need to trust our gut with that as well. So in that case for me, that was a, an evaluate, treat and refer. And I set her up with a neuro PT a little bit down the road. And I was like, Hey, if these symptoms just don't work, don't respond. I want you to see this person. So I think you're absolutely right that sometimes we may be that person, but we have to communicate it in a, in a different way and get the patient the care that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So if people are listening, how do they find you so that they can get this primary care mindset, they can get this primary care tool set, and they can kind of level up their practice. Because my hope is that people who are hearing this are like, no matter what setting I'm in, I want to practice at this level. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, <laughs> um, you can go to my website, www.redefinehealthed.com. I'm also on all the social media platforms at Redefine Health Ed. Um, and it's redefine with no D at the end. That's a common uh, misconception. The only um, social media that doesn't have that is uh, Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm Redefine Con Ed, so C-O-N-E-D. Um, or you can just email me info at redefinehealthed.com. Um, I've got a YouTube page. You just kind of type those words into Google and you'll be able to find me. And I am more than happy to, um, to have discussions with people, with PTs, with rehab professionals, with administrators, with anybody that's interested um, in primary care PT. Um, and even, you know, physicians that are looking to include a PT as part of their primary care or specialty care team, because um, a lot of that is becoming more team-based care is 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 on the is on the horizon, and it is it's it's the way of the future. Um, I, I wish it was the way of the now and the past, but you know, coming where we came from in you know paternalistic medicine, that is not exactly where it came from, but it is definitely where we're headed. So I'm really passionate about it. Really open to talking to anybody who wants to talk about it. Um, 
So thank you so much for this platform. If people are interested more in clinical skills, um, we have um, three different course offerings and, and more to come. The first is um, Foundations for the Primary Care Therapist, and that is um, an in-person and or online course. Um, and that is available now. I just launched the online course last week, which is cool. Um, and in fact, uh, there are... Ooh, well, I, I won't announce that quite yet. It's not, not, not there, there are more things on the horizon, but we also have a musculoskeletal imaging certification. Mm -hmm. um, EDPTs. Is, Pay attention to that. Those oh my gosh. Super, huge. super high value. If you're practicing in the ED. Super high value because um, if you don't know how to use imaging appropriately and what studies to order for what types of cases, you will miss things. No, or, no or even how to look at them, right? Like, Correct. what do you do with it when, like, you've ordered it? What do you do next? Exactly. So one of the modules within the certification is clinical response to imaging findings. So, so that you know how exactly to look at an imaging study and then built into the, the body region specific modules, you know, this is the given pathology. This is the common imaging. These are the cases let's look at them. Let's figure out how to scroll through an MRI and a CT and like, oh, there's the thing that we're looking for. Um, and how to, you know, review reports and understand the terminology and then communicate with radiologists and other healthcare professionals and the patient. It's all very important. And it's just such a thing that is so misunderstood and misutilized. Um, and then we also have a recognizing rheumatology course, which yeah. I think in the orthopedic world is um, really important and rheumatologic conditions often go undiagnosed for years. So it's really, it would be, it's awesome if you ever have a patient with a rheumatologic presentation, if you can identify, help them identify it, they, it will save them years of pain and struggle. So mm, I love um, that. yeah, come visit our, our website and find out more about all those courses. And we have several more that are cooking. So be on the lookout. All right. Final soapbox. Tell us, tell us what's on your mind. Um, honestly, <laughs> the thing that is on my mind right now is the fact that it's sunny outside and I just planted all of these, um, <laughs> this is, if you, you ask, so I'm tell telling me, you, tell me. I, I planted all of these, um, different veggies and flowers. Like they started in my kitchen and it has been raining and hailing and doing crazy things here in Chicagoland. And this weekend is supposed to be very beautiful and sunny. So sure I'm too. really looking forward to getting all my stuff transplanted outside and just enjoying finally like spring is here. That that's really what's on my mind right now. I'm sure you were thinking maybe I would say something about physical therapy, but yeah, no. I mean, just a little, <laughs> but here's the thing. Everybody who's in Colorado who is listening to you like this is like, that's a huge mistake. You don't plant until after mother's day. <laughs> So yesterday we had, it was 20 degrees. There was snow and ice on the road. Today it is 50 degrees, sunny. Everything is green. You'd never know that there was snow yesterday. It'll be 80 degrees this weekend. I cannot uh -huh. wait. So I'm with you. I'm all about that. Let's get some vitamin D this weekend. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Thank you so much for being with us. This is Dr. Katie O'Brien. You are in the ED now and you're officially discharged. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. In the ED Now is a podcast hosted and produced by Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, as part of Rebecca Griffith Physical Therapy, LLC. Our podcast makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. This podcast is intended for educational use only and is not intended as clinical or medical advice. While we make every effort for accuracy, factual errors may be present. Since you've been in the ED, I'm prepared to give you your discharge instructions. Please subscribe, share, and find more at the eddpt.com. You're officially discharged. Thank <laughs> you.